0: Dear Father in heaven, we're very grateful uh, for what you're doing here at this conference and for what you're doing in our lives and for the opportunity to uh, cooperate with you in the great work of redemption in our lives, in the lives of others that we minister to. And Father, um, we want to follow you. We want to, as we just heard in the last um, session, we want to do what you say and leave the results up to you. So please, Lord, in this um, time here as we talk about solving the institutional farming dilemma, we pray that you will uh, help inspire us to see that there's a, a, a bigger picture than perhaps we normally look at when we think about making a successful farm. So bless us in this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, it's not an unknown thing that institutional farms really struggle. How many of you have had a real struggle to make your farm work or have had a history at the place that you work of the farm going up and down and sometimes being closed and and um, all of those challenges? Well I working at Weimar and looking back and, and learning of the history of the farm there, it's um, been very interesting that it's it's... At times it's gone forward with a burst of energy and enthusiasm and, and lots of money being put in. And then all of a sudden, where's all this money going? And we spend all this money and nothing's happening and it's not coming back in. And, and then the rains get pulled back and it stops and that farmer goes away discouraged. And, and uh, so the cycle seems to go over and it's not unique to us. It's been pretty um, common in a lot of institutions. And um, so, you know, we have, um, prayed and thought and and, um, been seeking to know what is it that can really work to bring agriculture back. You see back in the day agriculture was an excellent means of um, industry to bring money into the schools to provide employment for students and to help support the institutions and, and keep them going. But as you heard last night, um, Bob Gregory's presentation, the Green Revolution has completely changed things. Mm. Food is so cheap now that um, you just can't look at a farm as an industry anymore to bring money in to support the schools and the institutions. It's just not not viable. And so what do we do to try to solve this problem? One of the biggest problems um, with uh, sustainability of our farms is keeping farmers. Um, The turnover of farmers is one of the major causes of loss of income and uh, for the failure of our farms is because there's such a high turnover. And there's reasons for the big turnover of our farmers at our institutions. And perhaps it's because we are looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at numbers, dollars, as the the, the, uh, uh, measure of success of our farms. And so first I want to just uh, look at why would somebody want to farm at an institution? It's really hard for institutions to find farmers. We get calls and contact all the time. We need a farmer from all over the place. And um, they're just not out there. And the ones that are successful out there are a bit burned, you know, hearing either having worked at an institution or having heard about it farmers that have had experiences working at institutions and are not really interested to go. But why would somebody want to work at an institution as a farmer? Well, perhaps the the main reason would be conviction and devotion to God's work. Uh, You don't have to read much in the councils that we've been given to know that it's part of God's plan. And so conviction is probably the number one reason. Some uh, aren't experienced farmers. In fact, a lot of times Uh, Somebody that loves gardening and has had a bit of experience gardening gets hired as a farmer and doesn't have any commercial experience. And so they um, want to get the experience and and do it. They love the work. Um, They have hope to see the promised results because hasn't God promised amazing results from our farms that are integrated into our schools? Um, They believe the blueprint. And for some it may be that working at an institution is for the benefit of their children. Like at Weimar, we have an academy and we have a college. And so um, there's an attraction sometimes that their children can go through the school, and that's the reason to go there and, and work. So perhaps you have other reasons as well. But um, I was really encouraged at ASI that they were promoting and giving this book out. Uh, how many of you went to ASI? A few of you. So this book was um, being uh, distributed. And how many of you have actually read this God's Beautiful Farm, the story of Madison? Okay. Uh, a few of you have. So this book is very inspiring. If you haven't read it, I really encourage you to do so. It's a, a, a it's amazing. It's one of those books you just won't want to put down. You want to read it through and, and, um, and hear the story of how God led, jo- uh, I was going to say Joshua and Caleb. They are the Joshua and Caleb of Adventism, I believe, who stepped out in faith in the face of all kinds of opposition to follow God's will and to um, really do something revolutionary. And God blessed their work. It was amazing how the success they had at this school. But sadly, in the 1960s, the school shut down for various reasons, which we don't have time to get into. But... Um, the dream is still alive in the hearts of many to see this return back to this amazing, beautiful farm that, that um, God blessed and can bless in, in all our institutions. This um, article, which probably comes from about the same era as Madison was um, uh, was starting, was another school. It was a conference school. And I want to share this article with you because it actually... Um, kind of, I think, encapsulates the blessing of stepping out and following God's plan, even though it doesn't seem to fit with what we are used to. And this is um, from the Adventist Review and Sabbath Herald, May 19, 1904. And it says, and, and the guy talking in here, he was the, uh, the, the one who wrote this. He was the um, education leader for the General Conference, and um, so he was really encouraging the schools to follow God's plan. And he says, "...as we have presented in these articles, the instruction which the Lord has given us regarding our schoolwork, it must have been often felt by the reader that in many respects we have not carried out this instruction in a practical way. It has seemed impossible to put the work into operation as our schoolwork is now conducted." To do this necessitates changes in our work in various ways. This is not surprising, however, for our whole work as a people is reformatory, requiring continual advancement. Now notice this, what I've put in bold. Change in the school year. In one of our former articles, some queries were mentioned which could only be answered by suggesting that the school year coincide with the agricultural season. In no other way can study and agricultural lines be the A, B, and C of the education given in our schools. I believe that this is very, very relevant, um, what was highlighted here. You know, we have a school calendar that doesn't coincide with the growing season. And if you're going to grow uh, food... During the school year, you have to invest in a lot of expensive infrastructure, greenhouses and, 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 and all sorts of things, and when there's a big investment in that, you expect there to be a return on the investment from the income, and it just doesn't happen. And um, So what they did in this school, we'll carry on reading the article, they actually changed their calendar year, so it coincided with the agricultural year, that's really revolutionary. It says, we need not repeat the various statements which can only be co- uh, conformed to by having our schools in session and the students in attendance in the spring, summer, and fall. An educational campaign is needed for our people to enable them to see the necessity of having their children in school during these months of the year when alone they can receive the lessons which the Lord says they should be taught. Many objections are raised inasmuch as this is different from our from customs of the past. There has long been a feeling on the part of many that the school year should be thus changed. But the movement has not been generally undertaken for lack of support from the patrons of the school. In the school with which the writer is connected, this subject has been studied and discussed for the past three years, with the result that the people of the conference have given their approval to the change suggested, and the school is now running on this basis. Our present year began March 30 and the blessings have already received as the direct result of the change have exceeded our expectations. The Lord has moved upon the hearts of the brethren and a goodly attendance marks the first year of this new order. Nearly all the students now in school will remain through summer and fall. Now with new full classes beginning at this time and with school work closely related to the opening season of growth, with some... Necessary changes in the daily program, we find a life and inspiration never before experienced. Our farm is a delightful lesson book, and the consecutive nature study of spring, summer, and fall enables us to make the schoolwork not only more profitable, but far more delightful. We now have an opportunity to open before our students' minds the treasure of knowledge and pleasure associated with country life. Our Saviour seems much nearer when study and recitation can be conducted amid the surroundings of trees, birds, and flowers than in a poorly ventilated classroom in the winter season. School discipline is entirely different. Christ and His redeeming love can be brought more vividly and consistently before the minds of the students, and thus the great end of all our work is more readily reached. Another change will be in the studies pursued by the pupils. More of nature study, agriculture, horticulture, floriculture, etc., being introduced, and less of the studies of, and less of other studies at one time. We must make the Book of Nature stand next to the Bible. Mental and physical instruction must be balanced in the student's daily life. And, and the article doesn't end there, but for the sake of time, that's all I'm sharing with. But I read this, it was so inspiring. I thought, wow, this is really the answer. If we want our If we want agriculture to flourish in our schools, if we want to solve the dilemma, that's really, I think, in my mind, the answer to it. If we try to make, you know, if you've got a square peg to fit in a round hole, it doesn't go, does it? Just, and so trying to make agriculture or farms be viable when it doesn't even coincide with the year, and then you've got all these other school activities going on and trying to have the work consistent, it's really, really difficult. And um, so it's no wonder that our our school farms are struggling financially when they don't sync with the the needs of the farm. So why do farmers leave institutions? Let's have a look at that for a minute. Financial pressure would probably be the, the number one. Um, there's great expectations on the farmer that the farmer's going to make the farm very successful and it's going to be profitable. And as the time goes by and it's not, the money isn't coming in, um, it becomes very discouraging for the farmer and he's made to feel, or perhaps he's not made to feel, but he may um, think that he's a failure because the money's not covering all the expenses that's coming in. Perhaps it could be from lack of experience and short-term failure because you might not do well one year, but you have to wait another year to implement changes that you've learned from that year. And, and so uh, it's very easy to get discouraged in the short term without persevering to learn and, and, and change. Um, <clears throat> others at the institution don't understand the blueprint as the farmer understands it, and um, so seem to be on a different page than everybody else. So that leads to discouragement Farmers work hard and sometimes they don't feel valued and appreciated. They have lack of help when it's needed the most and there seems to be a disinterest in, in the need on the farm. And then they see others working much less or, for, or, or less hours for the same remuneration and so all of these things, and you probably have a, a longer list than this as to why farmers leave, but... The truth is that many farmers leave institutions discouraged and they're looking to greener fields and different uh, institutions or other places where it should be easier. This book here uh, called The Fields of Learning is actually a compilation of um, basically institutional farms or school farms across America, not Adventist, just any school farms. And um, there are many, it's only, they're like two or three page uh, essays on uh, why the farm is there and what they're doing, what their philosophy is and, and how it's working. And I was fascinated as I read through this book to see that basically institutional farming is not working in general. It's not Adventism that it's not working. It's across the board as far as finances go. Um, But many of these schools and and, uh, these institutions, despite the financial difficulties and the challenges, they continue to go forward because there's a higher purpose, isn't there, than money to have these... um, these uh, farms in their schools. And many of them are actually student-led. It's amazing. The students are actually in in some of these colleges are demanding that they want land to have agriculture. And some of them are actually even taking time out from um, their their education to do one year of farming um, just to get the experience. So I encourage you to read the book. It's an expensive book, actually. It's about $40, but... um, if you're in institutional farming I think you'll find it beneficial. I think we also have to look at the big picture of farming. Farming is not profitable anymore like it used to be. Here's some statistics from um, the government. In, nine, uh, in 2010 farmers and ranchers earned a medium annual income of nearly 61000 That's not a lot for the investment that there is in a farm. If you're looking at a business um, from a business perspective it 's a very poor return, according to the u s Bureau of Labor Statistics. The top ten percent of farmers in the field made about one hundred and seven thousand a year while the bottom ten percent made less than thirty thousand so it 's not a very um, pretty picture financially when you consider that there in some of these farms probably have perhaps millions of dollars invested in in the um, equipment and in the land and so forth. So what are the options that we have for a viable, sustainable farm at our institutions? I believe that um, if we want to have a successful farm, we really need to wholeheartedly follow God's plan. You know, it's one thing to have the token of a farm at an institution where um, it looks like you're following the plan because you have a farm and you have a farmer, but it's another thing to integrate it as God has said to have the children, you know, the students involved, to have the teachers involved, to have it as an integral part of the program. And I don't believe God will bless our efforts until that happens. And so, solving the problem has to be uh, there has to be buy-in from the board, there has to be buy-in from the teachers and the principal and and all involved. And I believe that what God is doing here with the Agricultural Association and the conferences and and the recordings on Audioverse, it's becoming more and more known. You see, the council hasn't been well known. Um, You know, I went through uh, college at Weimar, and it wasn't until I had actually finished college that there was a guy there by the name of Ann Jones who um, knew some of the council and started sharing it, and I got inspired by it and uh, started to implement what I could, and, and it's led me to what I'm doing today. And so David Overmiller's here. He's going to present after me, but uh, he put together a compilation called The Green Print, um, and there's uh, councils on agriculture that John Dysinger put together, and there's another one called Hope in the Soil. All these are now and just uh, out there, and people are reading them, and so conviction is coming upon um, a lot, and so I think I really believe that there's going to be a return to God's plan. I believe that um, there's uh, there's going to be a revolution. There has to be because the Lord has said that He's going to cut His work short in righteousness. And how does He cut the work short in righteousness? Not that He waves a wand or something magic happens and it all of a sudden finishes. Righteousness is right doing. And when he cuts the work short in righteousness, it means that his people come back to his plan and do the righteous thing that he has said to do. And education is a key component to the finishing of God's work. So I really believe it's going to happen. So the two options that I see here for viability is to, if you want to have a successful farm, you have to have um, a farmer that's willing to work at your institution and you really need an experienced farmer um, if it's going to be viable. The other option that is being um, done at a few farms, uh, my farm at Weimar, David at um, Harvestfield Farms, and I believe Great Lakes Adventist Academy in Michigan the leasing option is uh, being done, but I don't believe that's the right way to go. It's one way of making it work under current circumstances, and we'll just probe into that a little bit, and then um, David's going to share uh, more. So finding a successful farmer willing to work at an institution, where do you find a farmer? Well, I believe that you'll have more success outside of America. Just, there's just such a shortage. <laughs> um, of farmers here, um, maybe you'll find one here. A lot of we, there's been quite a few that have come to this conference for the very purpose of finding a farmer, and some of them have been successful. Um, there needs to be a long-term budget to, uh, to help the farm be established. If you're looking at uh, very short term um, and thinking that you're going to have this farm turned around in a year or two, it's not going to happen. The industry, in the industry, they don't expect to uh, start a farm and make a profit for five years. So why should we think that we're going to do it any better? And so we need to have a long-term budget that is uh, going to sustain the farm. So when you get a farmer and you find someone willing to do that, they're not going to uh, be discouraged because they haven't made it in a short time. Um You need to have more than just a token farm to attract. Uh, I would like to say more, but my time is running out. But I think you understand what I'm saying there. There needs to be earnest prayer and a willingness to do God's will. If we really earnestly seek the Lord and pray, God will open the way. It's what he wants. The devil doesn't want this to happen. He does everything he can to try to squash it and prevent it from happening. And um, one conference president told me that... um, They were implementing agriculture into their school. He said, in all his years of ministry, he never saw the devil work so hard to prevent it from, you know, to to prevent that from happening, than anything else he'd seen the devil try to do. So, um, yes. So that one of the other things we need to do is change our accounting practices, Um, and this is a, a pretty important. Uh, thing because sometimes the accounting records make it look a lot worse than it actually is and um, in the institutional accounting procedures there's something that's called overhead distribution. How many of you are familiar with that? Anybody heard of it? And so overhead distribution is basically all the expenses that they can't nail down to a department and it just gets spread over every department and it's kind of like a tax and um, I don't know what it is where you are, but um, at Weimar, it's 25%. So whatever your gross income, a tax of 25% gets added to your expenses. And it's not really that they get that money. It just shows as an expense. So you've got 25% extra expense beyond what really is is um, actual expense. So I believe that if we want to make our farms um, uh, appear to be to be doing to actually, how do I say it, <laughs> to be more accurately portrayed, thank you, um, then I think we should have a different way of accounting to show the reality. Um, we need to make a clear distinction between capital expenses and annual supplies, because as soon as you put annual, uh, capital expenses as an annual <coughs> expense, it looks like you're running at a huge loss. But any business, there's capital expense, and, and there can be a lot of uh, capital expense. So um, that needs to be distinguished. And then the other thing is to allow the farmer to make financial decisions within a budget. So there needs to be a clear budget set that um, that is agreed upon, and then give the farmer the freedom to work within that budget, and don't say, well, no, you can't have money for this, and, and, and so on. So they need to have the freedom and the responsibility to make it work. <clears throat> now I'll talk briefly about the leasing option. Um, this is working. It's working for David. It's working for, for me, and it's working at Great Lakes Adventist Academy. It's working with a, uh, a broken system. Um, however, it is keeping the farm uh, viable and going, but it's, I believe it's a temporary uh, band-aid until we fully integrate and have the school and farm work. Oh, what I never went, happened there? Okay, I think I became unplugged. Okay, so basically, um, the lease is basically a legal agreement where the farmer then takes over the financial responsibility for the farm. So in our case, it's a token of $1 a year. So it transfers the financial responsibility to me, where I pay all the expenses, pay the um, student um, wages if I hire students, and um, pay all the bills. And uh, it does work. Um, the Lord has blessed, been doing it for two years, and um, I, I prayed when, when I was given. It wasn't something that I chose, it was something that was kind of put upon me, and um I prayed and said, "Lord, if you want this farm here and you make it work, then I'm willing to do my part." And and He has certainly done His part and made and blessed. And so, um, one of the things that after the first year, the um, we were paying rent when I was on wages, and so for the first year, I wasn't charged rent. But it turned out at the end of the year that we actually made on the farm the equivalent of what I was paid when I was on um, salary. And so then I was asked to pay rent. And so um, what I did was I asked them, I said, well, you know, there's, there's always money that needs to be spent on infrastructure on the farm, and that's not something you get a, 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 you know, an, an immediate uh, return on. Would you be willing for that rent money to go into the farm to actually uh, be spent on infrastructure, which is a permanent investment. And they agreed to that. And that's really a blessing because now um, we can improve the farm. So I, I believe that would be part of a, a viable lease to have some money that can be spent on infrastructure. And then I, I think also a long-term lease option Uh, once it's seen that it's a satisfactory arrangement. I mean, as far as, in our case, nothing else has changed. We work exactly the same with the school. Everything else is is the way it used to be. It's just the finances that have been shifted. And then, um, as far as students go, we have students that come to the farm. I teach a class for the college. And uh, so it was actually proposed to me by the administration that um, they would actually pay me for that time that I have students and teach students, just like any other teacher in the classroom would be paid. And so that helps a little bit with giving me a little bit of income, um, especially with farming, you have the majority of the year not earning, you know, and then when your crops start coming in and harvesting, then you have an income. So it gives a little, little bit of money to, to carry through. Um, and then during the summer, I have prayed and said, Lord, if you provide the help that I need, um, then we can, you know, make this thing work. And so I've really depend on the Lord and he has provided good student help to work in the summer. And that has been a real blessing because you can have students that um, uh, benefit from working, but they're not productive. And uh, if you're paying them, then that's money going straight into a hole that you don't see any return from. And so I'm very careful who I hire, and um, but I believe that that has been key to make it viable. I wish I could say more, but we have one hour to present this, and I've got half, and David has the other half, and he's going to uh, um, address this more. But uh, I hope that what I have shared has been a um, has been helpful as you consider your own personal situations.
1: I'm um, sure Yeah. so uh, I run Harvest Fields Organic Farm we're on the campus of Fresno Adventist Academy I'm not going to tell you a whole lot um, my presentation is a little bit different I think in a very complimentary way to Darren's he was a little bit more practical nuts and bolts I'm going to talk kind of big picture for a few minutes but I do want to tell you briefly about the farm uh, Fresno Adventist Academy wanted to start the farm four years ago, 2014 now I came on about January 15th, and I don't want to say a whole lot for the sake of time, but I want to say that it was really a financially driven decision. Not that there weren't other factors that influenced the decision to start a farm, but there was a lot of financial influence. Wanting to start an industry, many of you are familiar, our schools are struggling financially, looking for ways to generate revenue, and the farm was thought to be a really good way to do that. But as Darren pointed out, typical (laughs) business, especially farm, is going to be a good five years uh, to profitability, it's not, not realistic to expect a farm uh, to generate a profit, a surplus profit for a school, uh, I just didn't find that was realistic, uh, plus the church as a denomination has a lot of expenses that normal businesses don't incur, um, our retirement benefits package, uh, you know, med- medical package, uh, paid holidays, vacation time on the denominational level, the denominational wage scale, made it quite difficult financially to start a farm. A uh, lot of extra financial expenses that we could not avoid being under the church's umbrella that we are able to avoid being a separate organization. So in, in addition to being a uh, separate business, we're actually incorporated as a nonprofit in the state of California. Uh, we are part farm, production farm. So we grow and sell produce, uh, 13 acres on our farm. Not all of it's currently in production. Um, we run a CSA and sell direct to retail, local grocers and restaurants. And want to start a farm stand here in the near future, too. Um, We're all certified organic, and that's all fine. But a big part of what we're doing is the mission of incorporating agriculture and education. Uh, So that's why we incorporate it as a nonprofit. Uh, That also allows volunteer workers. Uh, If you're a for-profit business, it's illegal to take volunteers uh, with very, very few exceptions. Even internships have gotten a lot harder under current, um, current rules. But as a nonprofit, I can take volunteers and take interns quite easily. Uh, we're working with four schools right now, helping them develop elementary school gardens primarily and a little bit on the high school level too. And I didn't think that it was reasonable to expect a production farm to pay for mission activities. So we incorporated as a nonprofit so that we could split the balance. Um, you can come to this debate. I have people that I, you know, friends I debate this with. As an Adventist farm on a school campus, are you a business or are you a ministry? I have friends that we debate back and forth about this. They say, well, how can you run your ministry if you don't run a good business? Right, so what are you running a business for if you have no purpose? If your purpose is money, what are you doing it for? Uh, so we're trying to split that balance. Um, what else do I want to say about the farm itself? Um, nothing. Come at 4 o'clock. Uh, I want to ask you a question. How do you measure success? Uh, It's a personal question. It's not just a hypothetical, rhetorical question. How are you personally identifying success where you are? Okay. Production?
0: I count it success to just every time students are there interacting with God's... Okay. With God, it's a
1: success. Okay. Any other thoughts, ideas? Oh, that's true. Thank you. So in uh, an answer to my question, you said students being in contact with nature. The other comment previously was uh, harvest. Okay. How else do you define success? And I, I've done this in five categories. Financial success. Finances is the default parameter for measuring success in a business. Either you are making money or you are losing money. We measure success on the basis of finances. If you are farming in connection with a school, perhaps you measure success by academics. Does the farm, does the garden benefit the student academic life? Does it raise GPAs? Does it keep kids out of the classroom so they're not doing their homework and so their GPAs and test scores go down? How does it impact academic performance? There's plenty of studies that demonstrate that hands-on learning benefits academics. So you could be measuring the farm's impact on the school from an academic uh, parameter. Uh, you mentioned the number of students. Do we measure success by the number of kids that are working on the farm, that are, that are learning skills, uh, work ethic, etc.? Or do you measure spiritual uh, character development? And how would you measure that? That's a great question. Or do you measure influence? The influence that you're having on the kids, the influence that the school is having on the community through the farm. I've, I've definitely connected with people through our farm that I would not have connected with in other ways. Now, just a touch of my personal background. I worked for the denomination for 10 years before going into farming. Uh, I worked for Souls West. It was an evangelism school run in the Pacific Union Conference, teaching kids to do Bible work and a lot of literature evangelism work. And I've knocked on a lot of doors, given a lot of Bible studies, preached a lot of sermons to people who uh, would not be interested in farming. What am I saying? In other words, a lot of Adventists really aren't interested in food and farming and sustainability and that sort of thing. I'm going to flip that question around, that statement around. Through farming, I've met and befriended a lot of people that I would never be able to befriend through Bible work and Cold Porter work and handing out literature and tracts and preaching sermons and evangelistic series and your typical flyer in the mail for uh, Doug Batchelor, you know, Mark Finley kind of thing. How do I measure that influence? There could be more things we could add to this list. My question is, how are you measuring the success of your program? How do we collectively, in this room, measure the success of a farm, garden, on a school campus. Now, as a denomination, how many of you are conference schools, by the way? Okay, a few, uh, self-supporting, independent? And how many of you are just private? Okay, a couple. How do we, interacting with our school administrators, our conference administrators, communicate what success would be if I'm going to step onto a school campus and start a program, they're going to have their own definition of success. So I don't only have to meet my definition of success, I have to meet their definition of success if I'm dependent upon their money for sure, or I have to shape their perspective of what success would look like. So again, how do you define success? How do we define success in this room, and how do we Communicate success to those beyond this room, our administrators in the conference, schools, churches, whatever. we community garden, school garden. How do they understand success and measure it on the same page with you? I don't want to say a whole lot uh, again about our farm and our particular circumstances. But I know that finances were a big issue at Fresno Adventist Academy, and I made the mistake of allowing stepping into a situation where finances were too much of the measure of success. And that's not to belittle them at all. There's a lot of circumstances that the school was dealing with, so just don't read too much into that comment. Schools have tremendous issues in our church. Tremendous issues in our church. And that was not a criticism, it's just we weren't on the same page. And our understanding of what success was and how it should be measured was not, not right either. So I've learned some of this the hard way. I want to look at a couple things. Uh, let's, let's take financial success for just a second. Uh, Ellen White writes, The influence for good that the manual training work has exerted over the students overbalances the financial loss and would overbalance it if it were ten times as large as it is. So if we only measure the success of the program on the basis of cash, profitability, this would be success even if you were losing money. How many souls in this work, excuse me, how many souls this work has helped to save, you will never know till the day of judgment. Okay? If we're measuring success purely on finances, we're missing the real picture. Not that finances isn't important. What about academic success? Uh, it, academics is really important, especially in our world. Uh, this is from Councils on Education. If the youth can have but a one-sided education and it is asked, which is the greater consequence, the study of sciences with all its disadvantages to health and life, not to get into the health issues involved in schools in Ellen White's day, but the study of sciences is an academic thing. That's what kids go to school for today is academics, the study of the sciences. But she asked the question, which one's more important, academics or the knowledge of labor for practical life? We unhesitatingly say the latter if one must be neglected, let it be the study of books. So I, I'm really into promoting agriculture, benefiting academics. But if that's my only parameter for success, she says that's not the most important factor. Uh, here's a couple more quotes. Counsels of the teachers. At our church, she says, is to be guided by true theology and common sense. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, many of us actually think that our church is guided by Solo scripture, Bible alone. I'll let you ponder this. We are to be guided by true theology and common sense. But where does common sense come from? You look at the next quote this is education, page 220. Practical work encourages close observation and independent thought. Rightly performed tends to develop that practical wisdom which we call common sense. So, what's the value of the farm to our church? If our church is guided by the Bible and common sense, but you don't have common sense because you don't have practical work on your schools, what's the measure of success? How is the lack of practical work influencing the decisions made in our church every day on a common level? What's your measure of success? Uh, What about spiritual success? Now, this is a quote, uh, this is one of my favorite quotes, or at least one of my most important quotes. Uh, Ellen White writes, I've been led to inquire, must everything that is important in our youth be sacrificed in order that they may obtain an education at the schools? If there had been agricultural and other manufacturing establishments in connection with our schools, and competent teachers had been employed to educate the youth in the different branches of study and labor, devoting a portion of each day to mental improvement and a portion of the day to physical labor, there would now be a more elevated class of youth to come upon the stage of action that have an influence in molding society. She goes on, The youth who would graduate at such institutions would many of them come forth with stability of character. They would have perseverance, fortitude, and courage to surmount obstacles, and principles that would not be swerved by wrong influences, however popular. Now I'm going to share something with you. 50% of the young people in the Seventh-day Adventist church, a conservative number, 50% of the youth in the Adventist church leave the church immediately after graduating from high school well-documented, well-researched church data. 50% of our young people leave the church immediately after graduating high school. I'm going to do a little bit of math with you. This is 2016. You can find some of this data uh, on the uh, General Conference's archives and statistics website. There are about 53,000 Seventh-day Adventist students in our U.S. schools. There are actually more students than that, but some of them are non-Adventist students. 53,000 Seventh-day Adventist students in our schools. So I just picked a random number. Let's say you divide that by 12 grade levels. Okay. And I forgot pre-K if you want to count that. But every year about 4,400 kids graduate from an Adventist institution in the U.S. Half of those leave the church. That's 2,200. Now let's do a little bit of financial math. The average wage in the United States is about $50,000. Multiply that by 2,200 and you get $11 million that leaves the church every year when those kids leave the church. Now let me ask you, how do you measure financial success of a farm? If the farm is contributing, as the previous quote said, if the farm is contributing to the character development of the young people, keeping them in the church, she said that they would not be swerved by wrong influences, however popular. If they stay in the church because of their experience on the farm, when they graduate from school, get a job, they're going to pay their tithe money. By the way, that 11 million was just tithe. I took the $5,000 a year on $50,000, came up with $11 million. That does not count offerings. $11 million a year. That's just one class graduating. But next year, another class is going to graduate, and half of them are going to leave the church. And the third year, another class is going to graduate. So three years from now, it's not $11 million a year that the church doesn't bring in in revenue from tithe-paying, attending church members, but $33 million the church is losing every year. But this is a problem that's been going on for decades How many hundreds of millions of dollars are currently leaving the church because our educational program is designed or is not designed to keep those young people in the church? Let me ask you a question. How do you measure the financial success of a farm on a school campus from that perspective? And our denominational leaders and our educational leaders are well aware of the statistics that half of our young people leave the church every year. And I'm not just blaming it on the lack of farms on the schools either. There are a lot of reasons why our young people leave the church. But I want to challenge you. What is your measure of success? If your farm is losing money, but you're educating properly, and that has a financial return upon the church later in life, how do you measure that? And are you successful because you're losing money, or are you failing because you're losing money on your farm? So... I'll tell you what I think, and you know, in an hour we can't, uh, as the the title to the the workshop says, the uh, institutional dilemma, we can't solve that in an hour. But I'll tell you what I think is my biggest, uh, our biggest challenge, and that is recognizing that the school, farm, or garden is not about money or academics, but about the opportunity to transfer spiritual values to our youth. Amen. Now, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what happens? All, these things, yeah. okay. all this other stuff starts to come back to you. So um, I'm going to invite Vanessa Gilarducci up here. <laughs> I'm going to have to share this so you get on there. <laughs> um, our farm, our Harvest Fields, is a unique farm and is not replicatable to everyone else. We are a nonprofit. You can't all become nonprofits. You shouldn't, perhaps. Um, She has at Bakersfield Adventist Academy a unique story that I think is equally as relevant as what we're doing on our farm and has a story I think that benefits everybody and we've kind of summarized some ways where you can meet the challenge of identifying success to yourself and communicating that success to your other administrators whether it's school or conference wide. Um, so I met Vanessa at iShare about two years ago. iShare is an uh, evangelism conference in the Pacific Union. And she came up to my booth and asked for help because she was struggling with Bermuda grass. Now, unfortunately, I have more experience with Bermuda grass on my farm than I wish I had. Uh, but, but that's where we started our, our, uh, our partnership in educational farm-based ministry. So I've been helping Bakersfield Academy for the last couple of years. And what I want you to do is start your story for me and tell me where you were Uh, about two years ago.
2: So two years ago, my son was about to enter kindergarten, so I decided to read the book Education. And when I read that, and I saw how important it is to have nature incorporated into education, I thought we need this at every school. And so I went and presented that to the principal and said, hey, I want to start a school garden. And so that's where I started.
1: But now you go to a school administrator and you say, hey, I want to start a school garden. And it's going to require money, and most Adventist schools don't have what? Money. Okay, so Bakersfield Adventist Academy. I'm, I happen to be a little bit familiar. Not lots of extra cash floating around there. What would you
2: do? So with lots of prayer, I mean, that's a key thing, lots of prayer. Um, I, I told them, okay, I want to start this school garden. Um, I won't require money from you. I'll raise all the funds. I just need your land and I need water and show me where to do this um, if you'll let me do this. And I also, on top of that, I showed him a plethora of Spirit of Prophecy quotes (laughs) and why this is important and um, told him about that. And he said he'd present it to the board.
1: Okay, so how many of you here are farming? Now, how many of you farmers like selling stuff to people? I mean, I know you like the money that comes from selling things to people, but how many of you feel like salesmen? Okay, very few of you raised your hand. And I think the honest truth is that a lot of us don't like being salesmen. But what she had to do was a little bit of sales. But you notice her sales technique? Did you catch it? I I don't want anything from you except a little spot of ground. Correct, and that's certainly the case of Bakersfield Academy. They had some land and weren't using it. Fresno Adventist Academy, same way. Got some land, not using. How many of your schools have land that they're not using? Okay, lots of hands in here. So you said to them, and I think this is a really important thing, I just need your permission. I'll take care of everything else. If we're going to make this succeed, we're going to have to take ownership for this ourselves. That might mean some sacrifice. She's not getting paid for this. She's a volunteer. But she took ownership of it as a volunteer and then provided the solutions. I think it's really important. Many of our administrators, we can't just criticize our schools. These guys work a lot. My office faces the principal's window. Um, My barn office window faces the school's principal's window. And I see what time the light goes off in that office every day. Because I'm there too. (laughs) You guys relate to that one, don't you? So they're overworked, and guess what? They don't have, politely, have a clue what to do. They don't know about farm business management, farm marketing strategies. (laughs) They don't know about growing stuff, tools, equipment, maintenance, like organic certification. They don't know this stuff. So you took all that on, and you said to them, I want your permission. Mm -hmm. I'll take care of everything else. Where would you go from there?
2: From there, um, I knew that um, once they approved it and showed me where I could do this, I knew that I needed to raise money. And um, that's something that I looked into by applying for grants. There's lots of grants now. Um, it's interesting that our Avenis schools, we were the original people that were supposed to have gardening and farming incorporated to it. But now in the public arena, they it's tons of different grants and opportunities where people want to support um, having education and farming together. They want kids in the dirt. And so it was very easy to go and... Um, look online and to see what kind of grants were out there. And on top of that, I think a key thing is to communicate with your local churches. Communicate with those around you and tell them, this is what I want to do. This is the vision. Catch it. Like share what you've been reading, share the things that you want to do. And most people, they want their kids to have a hands on experience um, growing plants. They want that thing for their own kids and they will support you. But you have to be brave enough to ask and to ask specifically for things. Um, if So when I thought we needed certain um, things in the garden, I would ask specifically, like, oh, we want to have a fence, or we want this, and ask people, can you donate towards that? And as they saw um, how involved I was in it, And on top of that, how the program looked. So we we did a couple seminars as well. And when they came to the seminar, and they saw that the garden was coming together really well, and it was organized, it was clean, um, which also leads to that... Quote, um, in Ecclesiastes 9 10 Whatever your hand finds it to do, do it with all your might. It shows, and people will believe you when they see that you're doing it with all your might. And the details of how you're keeping your, your farm or garden organized, that the shovels are aligned perfectly, or things are looking clean, and you're not just letting it go to a mess. Um, I had people come up to me afterwards and was like, I, I like what you're doing. I see that you're working hard. Um, I want to support it. How can I do that? And so we raised $12,000 to start this garden. And then um, was able to use, been able to use the money freely and easily. And we still have people coming up saying, I really want to support this. We have doctors and different people just seeing this and coming to the seminar, hearing about it, hearing maybe even parents coming and saying, My kids want to plant potatoes at home now because they, they were pulling them from your garden. Um, and we don't have a clue what we're doing. But it's just, it's really interesting to see just how it, it catches fire and people start wanting to be supportive of something that they see is really affecting their kids.
1: Okay, so you helped me perfectly there. Affecting their kids. (laughs) Because this is not just about asking parents or doctors or other organizations for grant money for donations. This is about the kids. And how are you getting the kids into the garden? And you said when when the kids go home, now they want to plant potatoes at home and it starts to spread like fire in the influence of a kid. Now your kids become your salesmen. (laughs) They're going home to mom and they're going home to their church. The kids become the salesmen. But how would you get the kids into the garden to begin with?
2: So relationships are important. It's interesting that um, we're called to love our neighbors. But we're also called like with the teachers to communicate with them, to ask them, hey, can we have your students come out to the school garden? And, may, and maybe at first it's not a structured curriculum. Maybe it's not, you don't start with, okay, this is what we're going to do and you need to implement this. Because teachers, some of them, they've never even been in the garden. In fact, at um, Bakersfield House Academy, Sadly to say um, our biology teacher he had never even looked or taught the plant section of the biology book because he wasn't familiar with it.
1: Was just skipping it.
2: But now we're working with him. So that's that's being taken care of. But here the the interesting thing is teachers have themselves haven't been in the garden or in the farm. And so we I just asked them can we have your kids come in? We'll teach you. We'll teach them. We'll we'll do the work basically and the teachers are learning as they are there with the students too and eventually we have certain teachers that are asking every all the time i want my kids in there i want my kids and pretty, now they're asking me yes. they want their kids in the garden and they're asking me for my time and so it's really exciting because they're getting excited and they're seeing the difference in their students they're seeing how they're connecting. I We had one student who had to cut irrigation pipe. And what she said afterwards was just so fascinating. She's like, that is so satisfying. And I was thinking, cutting irrigation pipe? But it's just because they're getting out of their norm of sitting at a desk and being confined to a small space. And just the, instead of looking at math problems, like, OK, I have to measure a piece of pipe um, but like, they don't understand that because it's just words. They get to do it and see it, and they get to experience it. And so to them, all of a sudden, it becomes satisfying. It's exciting to see that in action. You
1: know, Once you start to develop these relationships with these kids and start to teach them things, they're going to start to value you differently too. I was um, down in Bakersfield working with her and some of the other volunteers she's recruited too. It's more than... It's more than just a couple people. You need to ask for help, ask for volunteers, especially on a school campus. You need the volunteers, not just for you, like her and I and a couple other volunteers. We can do the work, but we need the volunteers so that it becomes their program, not just our program on their campus. So there was a young man named Moses. Uh, Moses pretty disengaged kind of guy, but I took a few minutes with him. Uh, this was last school year, and I showed him how to use a ratchet strap. Anybody know what ratchet straps are? Of course had no clue how to use a ratchet strap. Just taking a moment, showing him how to use a ratchet strap, got me a little bit of a relationship with him. And then he actually likes me now, and he wants to do more stuff. So he was kind of out in the garden. They were bored. And I said, hey, Moses. He said, yeah. I said, hey, you want to use a post hole digger? And he was like, yeah. And then there were two other boys. They wanted to use the post hole digger, because one boy was using the post hole digger. And you know what? They had never used the post hole digger before. They didn't even know what it was when I asked him, do you want to use it? And uh, just getting them engaged, then they get excited about it. And what she was saying, then that starts to spread. But we have to, we have to take ownership of this and realize that we need to help them, the schools, whether it's private or denominational independent, like whatever, we need to help them come alongside them and help them make it happen and not just tell them that it needs to happen. Yes, it needs to happen, but we have to help them make it happen by taking ownership ourselves. That's going to put some of you out of your comfort zone a little bit. You're going to have to go up to people and tell your story, ask for donations, ask for volunteers, talk to teachers, get the kids out in the garden, and then soon that'll start to create momentum and momentum will start to come your way. Um, Again, we have to stop here. I'm a little bit over time, a couple minutes. Uh, but four o'clock, please be here. Let's all talk together. There's a lot of experience in this room that we need to share with each other and uh, inspire each other with. So we'll pause here. Don't forget, we'll take a 15-minute break and we've got a couple other schools coming and why don't we close uh, with a prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you uh, for all of us sitting in this room. This room is full and it says something about what's going on in our church. And I pray that you would bless us Uh, the rest of this day as we talk as a a group of um, fellow believers in something particular, and that is agriculture and education. That you would help us to learn from each other, be inspired by each other, and to move forward in what we're doing uh, for the sake of our young people and our church and for the mission of our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse